Okay, we got it. This, this, this should work, right? Yeah. Aaron, can you hear us hey, now? There, yeah. Are we, are we in good now. shape? But I can't see you all. <laughs> <laughs> you could only see the space between us. <laughs> you, you could just see uh, Willie Nelson there. Oh, no. Nice. <laughs> He's like, uh, someone once described Willie Nelson as like the, uh, like the, Bob Dylan for people who like aren't shitty hippie. Uh, I forget the description, but it, it seemed to work. Oh yeah, uh, that sounds about right. I'm a native Texan. Well, sort of. I it depends on what company I am. I'm in either. Sometimes I'll rep New Mexico and sometimes I rep Texas. But uh, he's a code switcher. Yeah, no, I'm a total turncoat. But when when the topic <laughs> of discussion is Willie Nelson, I always rep New, uh, Texas. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm wearing my. You can, I hope you can't. See, I'm wearing like an OU shirt, actually oh, an Oklahoma University shirt. <laughs> did, it's you, right. did you go to OU? Yeah, we're no, no. I just had like I just saw it in a thrift store, and I thought it looked kind of like a like an old NES cartridge. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, it reminded me of like a. I don't know. I was just like, that's cool. I'll wear that. And I mean, all the time. I don't know anything about college football, and especially college football in like Oklahoma and Texas. But then all of a sudden, all my Texan friends are like. Dude, what, what the fuck are you wearing that at my house for? Like, <laughs> yeah, or, like, I'll be at a bar and someone's showing their parents around, like, you know, the Big Apple or whatever. And they'll be like, they'll see me and go, like, woo, Sooners. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking uh, about. <laughs> you should just play along. Yeah, no, I'm just like, I'm like, all right. Like, <laughs> yeah, my dad is a Sooners fan. And I went to Texas, so I'm not really much of a Texas uh school spirit person though so i know i don't have a whole lot of school pride so don't worry <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just found out what like uh what is it like a mum like a mummer a or mum? whatever like the a mum a mum a mum like like the flower yeah it's like a texas what is it maybe i'm getting it wrong like the texas uh like homecoming like dance thing with like the crazy quinceanera looking Thing. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like quinceanera. <laughs> yeah, but that sounds familiar. But it's just like an in general Texas Latino thing. Yeah, no, now I'm showing that I'm not actually from Texas. <laughs> oh, okay. Now I'm revealing yeah, that. Yeah, it's like deeply specific to Texas, and I was like, when someone described it to me, I'm like, dude, you are, you are just lying to me and seeing how long I'll go away. Like I'll go along with this like crazy shit. And then he's like, I googled it, and it's like, it's like crazy. It's like um. Like high school, like Texas teenagers wearing a dress made out of like ribbon and like teddy bears. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. The, it was wild. It's kind of like a I, I, yeah, it's kind of like a corsage, but like a but a very dec decorative one, right? Very ostentatious. Maybe. Oh yeah, it's like way over the top. Right. It made me. It's actually one of the first things. It's actually. Yeah, it might be the only reason I ever want to visit Texas is to see one of those actual things. It's just, just like I guess to Austin or something. I don't know. Right, right. Well, Austin, Austin sounds lit. I guess it's a cool place. Yeah, it's pretty lit. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot as fuck. Uh, I was talking to Tanya, who who is not on our show, or today. She's the third member of our show, but she's not here today. And uh, mm -hmm. I was talking to her, and I was like. Yeah, I kind of feel like the reason I left Texas is because it was so fucking hot, which is totally it was like a petty reason to move somewhere. And she was like, 
Actually, that's like in the top three reasons that people generally migrate over millennia. <laughs> like oh. eco economics, <laughs> economics, environment, <laughs> or they're forced to move or something. So. Totally, that's so funny. Yeah, in the, in the grand course of like human development, like the weather sucks is like the main reason that people <laughs> yeah. have moved. Yeah. yeah, right. Right, probably why people populated North America. They're just like, gotta get the fuck out of central asia uh, it's like something about like how much we've naturalized like the shittiness of our world is that like we're like it just <laughs> historically specific to the last 200 years or something yeah <laughs> you cut out there for a second Aaron. i think we missed some of what you were saying oh <laughs> it was really good but it's never it's, that was ah, the moment's gone damn it <laughs> god damn it we we may have that happen over the course of the conversation. We're stuck with this really shitty East Kentucky internet. Yeah, so. we live in very remote rural part of uh, the not just the state but the United States, and uh, our internet here is notoriously bad. Oh my god! Yeah, um, it's kind of funny. It's like a, it's like we're we're really bridging a divide here. Where like I, I'm a software engineer, so that's where I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. It's like this insane. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that. It's yeah. Like... Uh, That's so good. If we weren't in a studio, I could show you outside. Um, <laughs> it would just be a bunch of hills and uh, a few houses here and there, but. <laughs> oh, my God. A Dairy God. Queen. A Dairy Queen. <laughs> You but, you know, know. It's, this, the struggle brings us together. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's so right. <laughs> um, hell yeah, dudes. Hell yeah. Well, uh, so, Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Um, I guess I'm going <laughs> to start this, like, a professional podcast, which it's not really. Our podcast isn't really that professional, but um, <laughs> but to formally introduce just, you know ourselves, I'm Terrence. I'm Tom. This is Tom. Uh, <laughs> I still like I can only see the divide between yeah. you guys. And that's Willie. <laughs> Let's see if we can't. That's Willie. <laughs> that's Willie. Um, I was gonna give my interview to Willie. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. No better person, really. So the really the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because I really enjoyed your. But I mean, you read it too. We both really enjoyed your article. Tell us a little bit about it. I mean, like, uh, tell us a, bit, a little bit about where it came from. Uh, it's it's in Jacobin. It was recently published in Jacobin, and it's called the problem with Saul Alinsky. Right. Right. Or it's, and yeah. it's essentially criticizing Alinsky from the left. Um, there was a bit of a debate over the title over whether or not it should be called. Um, don't call Saul. Or I think Midno is better not call Saul. Sorry, better not call Saul. But then I think uh, it's somewhere along the editorial process that got scratched. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that would have been a totally valid title. But you know those editors. Man, actually, yeah. <laughs> so the the article, I guess, yeah, you know, someone around Jackman um, had asked me, Bhaskar, uh, the uh, the main editor for Jacobin had asked me to to do this piece on Alinsky like I mean forever ago and it just I'm like the slowest writer in the world and I had a bunch of you know things had come in and gotten in the way of it but maybe it must have been like maybe a year and a half ago he was like you should write this thing for Jacobin and then you know a year and a half later I turned out maybe 20 paragraphs I don't know like not even but um but the the main argument that I make is basically if the left is interested in rebuilding the social power that we once had, where the left was actually like a strong political force in this country, we were able to put forward demands to, you know, the ruling class, the 1% or whatever you want to call them, 
then then Saul Alinsky should not be our guide for that. Um, based on, I would say there there are two main points of criticism that I I I really focus in on. Although I think that you could broaden that criticism out much wider. But the main arguments I make is that uh, Saul Alinsky's aversion to um, to political ideology. I don't think is uh, helpful for the left. I think that we need a political guide. I think that politics need to guide our principles and our actions and that we need to be inspired by a political vision of social change. And that related to, to that, that uh, it leads to a, a definite, like a, it leads to undemocratic organizations generally. And I provide mainly the example of the United Farm Workers, the experience of the Farm Workers Union uh, to kind of, as a case study of, uh, of how Alinskyism leads to a lack of, of of democratic organization, although I think that in many people's experiences, you guys just lost that whole great thing. I, I know it was fucking good, Aaron. It was really fucking good. Um, I was, I was, I'm so mad right now. <laughs> no worries, it, man. It happened. So uh, where, I could do this. I could do this all day. Where we broadcast from? We. Run- I might grab a beer though oh yeah please do uh if you're here i'd offer you one can you hear me yeah i can hear you can you hear me good sweet yes it works all right aaron um do you want to try to pick it up where you're heading (laughs) (laughs) you're saying something profound something good (laughs) yeah no that's fine i can just uh start from describing the piece in jacobin again yeah here here's um so what I was doing when I was thinking, uh, I was reading your article. I get, I'm gonna give your article the Errol Morris treatment. Like, pretend you're Robert McNamara and I'm Errol Morris, and this is Fog of War. I came, <laughs> I came up, I came up with five tips for um, how to throw leftists under the bus and gain nothing in the process. And we'll just call this Alinskyism. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. No, right. I'm I'm reading some of my own biases into this. The first yeah. tip, though, is pragmatism, or always yep. be pragmatic. So do you have anything <laughs> to add to that? Or what did Solinsky, what was his thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's something about Alinsky's um, sort of emphasis on pragmatism that is so uniquely American. Um, I mean, this is a kind of a form of thinking about organization and um, and and organizing that is... Um, that is so particularly American. In fact, there's a quote that I read, um, that I read from, is it from Trotsky? Like, is, yeah, the Trotsky quote I posted on Twitter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where he says, uh, pragmatism is the greatest curse of the American, uh, of the, of American thought. And it's like, so I, cause I was watching, um, uh, I was listening to this interview today to kind of prepare for this, um, between Alinsky and Studs Terkel and Studs Terkel, you know, is, is, is is incredible um but he's just but alinsky is just like so i think studs says um uh something like maybe uh you know saul like you really it's something like you really like pragmatism you really you really you know you're a big believer in it and alinsky doubles down and says i'm not just a big believer in it it's everything that there is and it's like <laughs> jeez <laughs> And it's like so, (laughs) yeah, it's like so, it's like, to me, it's, I don't know, I don't understand to me how one can call themselves both. I mean, look, I, I accept the, 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 the sort of the fact that there are, that we have to have a sense of the world around us and that there are limitations to what we're able to, to do. But the idea that like a radical, someone who self-describes as a radical 
should be limited to this sort of this narrow realm of like being realistic just seems completely foreign and useless to me if we're not informed by um uh a sense of like of uh of the world that we that we want that is like maybe appears unrealistic because of like how shitty the world is but if we're not informed of like a world that's like not shitty anymore i don't understand how that's like useful to for a radical and then and then more than that i think alinsky's pragmat his own sense of pragmatism i think limits um really it 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 seems to bend towards interpreting the worst aspects of everyone so he seems to have this i think alinsky has this very deep sense of like the immutable conservatism uh and individualism of the american working class and so much of his like sort of sense of tactics and strategy i think really um really go like lean on that and end up insisting upon this sort of this notion of this uh this monolithic sort of organizer right yeah i thought that was um I thought that so that actually brings me to the next point, which is a really good uh, segue. Uh, always think your rank and file organizing base is always way more conservative than it truly is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, and I think that that goes hand in hand with the third one, which is revolutionary ideas unnecessarily limit an organizer. Which is, um, yeah, you're right. Like he's not very informed. By, it seems like to me he's not very informed by like a sort of socialist worldview, which is that. Um, you know, humans always respond to oppression. They always respond. That's a part. That seems to me a, be to be a part of human nature. We respond to exploitation and oppression, and you have to, you know, and we're not just like non-ideological creatures. Like we have to put that oppression into some sort of like, you know, framework or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Alinsky, it seems like was uh, was pretty uh, anti that. I guess. <laughs> To put it yeah, I mean, Alinsky's heavily informed by his experience in the CIO bureaucracy, which I, I kind of give a brief survey of. There's an, an excellent article that kind of spells out that history a little bit more by um, by a friend of mine, Joe Richard, that's also in Jacobin, called uh, I think the Hunter and the Dog. Um, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, but Alinsky, you know, I mean, his sort of um, greatest uh, the the main source of his sort of inspiration where he really comes up as an organizer after sort of like a brief stint as a criminology student. And actually I think briefly, I think conservatives really love this, but like that he worked briefly for like the Chicago mafia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as one does. I'm not going to go too deep into that because then I'm, I, I'm worried about the territory I'm ending up in, but I think, um, but it is an interesting sort of, bit of bit of biographical history but you know after after that he works for for john l lewis and the cio and i think at that at that period um you know the cio was uh i mean there was a, a significant a serious battle uh for cf for the leadership of the labor movement between sort of the conservative bureaucracy represented by by john l lewis and um and sort of rank and file workers that are you know um inspired or, and active either as organized or unorganized but sympathetic sort of communists socialists anarchists who are competing for for leadership in the in the labor movement and john lewis sees this the way he sort of manages this moment is says um you know okay well these people are serious organizers they're very committed and they, a lot of people believe in what they they say 
I don't, but we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't let this energy go to waste. Let's take advantage of this. Let's let them organize. And then the second that it becomes too much of a problem, you know, we'll just fucking get rid of them. And that's, exa that's exactly what he did. And I think at this period, really this period, I think in the CIA in the, in, in the history of the labor movement really informs Alinsky in terms of like how Alinsky is both able to kind of speak this sort of radical rhetoric and yet still represent this very top-down bureaucratic style of organizing that relies that that really puts all the initiative into the the hands of a of of, of staff right um yeah uh that is one of the the interesting things about it like and i didn't really realize this like um about how like alinsky thought that one of the biggest um sort of mistakes of unions and union organizing was uh, sort of imbuing it with this sort of uh, political um, project or, or like sort of like revolutionary project, right? Like he thought mm -hmm. that like they shouldn't be political essentially that, you know, I guess in my reading that is that too simplistic of a sort of read on it? No, 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 not at all. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think that he sees, I think what he ends up actually seeing Mostly, and I, I don't really go into this in the article, but it's something I kind of took away from some things I was looking at today um, as I was kind of like getting ready for, for this conversation or whatever. You know, he was talking to um, it both, both to, you know, his, his sort of sense of, uh, of the purpose of organizing is, is actually, I think, kind of apolitical. And there's a certain sense where I think his vision of society is more or less exactly what we have. It's just like, like everyone is organized to such a degree where they're able to like exert their own. I mean, it's this kind of quintessentially liberal pluralist view of what a democratic society is. It's like everyone has common and equal uh, interests and they're able to sort of like negotiate this and, and leverage for, um, you know, it's like sort of like he, he believes in the discourse basically in the discourse. <laughs> <laughs> and the discourse is, you know, represented through people being organized as their, you know, as interests that are that are equal and they just influence each other. So you have, you know, business interests and you have labor interests. Right. And you have, I guess, uh, you know, white community Chicago, like Polish interests and you have like right. black interests or something. And everyone's organized and they're able to figure out their their conflicts this way. And it's like it's. And, 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 and to that degree, there, there's no real need for him, as far as he sees it, to, to have politics. There's just interests. And, uh, and of course, like, this is, this, he would not admit this, but this is political. This is, you know, this, this is both, I mean, that is basically just the vision of, that's like the textbook sort of vision of, of liberalism. And then his own sort of view of how these things are organized is essentially the politics of the of the bureaucracy right of the labor bureaucracy right. is what that yeah yeah no that is a really good way to, it's the melting pot really <laughs> i mean it's, uh, uh, i don't know american liberalism is it's just so boring um <laughs> it is true he, you know he was um one of the things i was watching today it's so funny to me is um you know people had this sort of i mean i think I, I don't know. I, as far as I see it, I, th I think that there are people out there who who really see Alinsky as like, like a real badass, like this, like really like <laughs> smart tough guy. And I was watching his, um, God, fucking shoot me. But I was watching his interview with uh, with 
William F. Buckley on the firing line. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen this. This is interesting. Where, I mean, you know, uh, like, it really sucks that, like, Buckley just drags him because ultimately Olinsky has, like, nothing very serious to say. I mean, like, um, you know, uh, there's this one part where, um, I mean, Buckley's just like, um, I mean, it, it, it's fucked up because, I mean, he's, like, a goddamn monster, but, I mean, right. he ends up you know, and he kind of like catches Alinsky in this sort of like trap of being like, um, so you don't believe that anyone like can, you know, sort of like act out of a genuine belief and like a, like a, a doing the right thing or something like right. that. And Alinsky's basically like, no, I don't. It's all just like, it's this like this sort of cold pragmatism. And there's like this part of like, it's like, I don't know. It was just like really fucked up to watch, but it's like so goddamn boring. But like, also on top of that, like, it's like, yeah, he's this like tough, he, you know, I think there there are certain kinds of people out there that want to think that maybe Olinsky is like, yeah, this like badass tough guy, but he's just like yeah. trying to ingratiate himself to this ghoul fucking Buckley. Yeah. You know? Just like he's like, uh yeah, Buckley's like, so do you think that uh in the fight so if we're if we're gonna fight for Medicare, you think it's okay if we just, you know, crack a few eggs to make an omelet like, you know, to like shoot a doctor or something and then you know, which is a fucking stupid question, but then Olinsky's like Oh come on, Bill! Like, come on, Will! Like, you know better than that. As he like smokes the cigarette, it's like, <laughs> it's like, why are you trying to be nice to this guy? He would like, Bill, like, oh my, Olinsky would like let himself get dragged to like a fucking like labor camp or something like yeah. that, some <laughs> right. sort of civil war, and say it's like pragmatic or something in the end, and it's so obnoxious. Yeah, no, I mean, um, that is one of the huge. Uh, missteps of, I mean, honestly, right there, isn't that one of the big missteps okay. of the the Clinton campaign? Like, w- which was going right, like going towards the middle, because like liberals think that they have this very bizarre fucking like idea that um, humans aren't they're motivated by logical assertions and and you know what I mean, like pragmatism and stuff. It's like no, like the vast majority of people out here we're all ideology baby you oh, know yeah. what i mean like yeah and and the right wing is you know what i mean and especially i have this one quote pulled up from your article but it was from a labor organizer um McEvely. yeah said uh Lindsay's attempt to strip the organizing model of ideology manifests in various concrete practices like insisting that groups should only wage winnable fights and that the organizer should refrain from bringing her political views into the organization's discourse the ramifications render the Alinsky model impotent relative to many contemporary challenges because ideology is a central front of the right wing, and therefore the left must con- left must contend in that area arena. Um, I mean that is fucking spot on, and that's why a guy like Alinsky can't have any sort of uh, real into like any kind of sparring with a guy like Buckley because it's just not. Yep. A, yeah, it's just like that. Just really sums it up. It was really clear in this in, in this interview, and I, I do suggest it, it is. I mean, the it, it is actually maybe worth watching if people are interested in this. I'm not like suggesting that people go watch the fucking firing line, but I went down that it, rabbit hole a few times. Uh, I think I, I think I've watched the Sammy Davis Jr. episode and <laughs> had Walker Percy on there one time. Yeah, 
What did he have to say to Sammy Davis Jr.? <laughs> yeah. I forget. The, the best, though, I think, was when he had Truman Capote. Oh, speaking of, just real quick, speaking of Buckley, the best the best fucking shit ever was Ross Duthat today on Twitter, who was, like, oh, who was like yeah. uh, talking about the good days of conservatism, you know, oh, like... Yeah. Uh, the halcyon days. Yeah, the halcyon days of conservatism. <laughs> yeah. When he's talking about Buckley, it's just like, someone someone had the perfect tweet. It's just like, this guy fucking endorsed Jim Crow in his paper. <laughs> Dude, he, like, literally said, that like uh that like people like hiv like people with the tattoos HIV, yeah like that, should be sterilized that it's was like the fucking, fucking lunatic yeah oh, and yeah. you know he was a goddamn monster and it's like you know yeah i guess like crypto fascism was a lot better for ross when it was like trying to spoon him naked on a yacht but, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know uh, doesn't ross, ross does have that story in his in his yeah that happened <laughs> yeah. That, that they yeah. had a weird he was one of bill's boys it's, it's, it's thoroughly documented by ross <laughs> <laughs> But there's this, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like sort of getting, getting back to the sort of this point of like ideology, I think, you know, there's, um, this, um, there's this quote from, uh, from this, from the Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci, where he says that, um, oh, like all people are, all people are philosophers, our pe- all people are intellectuals insofar as, um, or rather he's, so he says all people are intellectuals. And what he means by that, I think is that. Insofar as everyone goes about their daily activity, that daily activity is informed by by a worldview that they have. People reason, in other words, about the the world and how it works and their place in it and how they should operate. And um, and and to that degree, then you know, we we all we're not like just uh, empty vessels, just like moving about the world, informed by like biological sort of like impulses and right. instincts, right? Like. We have an idea of how the way, of, of the way the world works, and I think uh, to, it never occurs to Alinsky that people are able to like think critically about this, you know, and that. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that like it does us a lot of good as sort of like left organizers to go out. I'm not saying like let's go beat people over the head with copies of Capital or something like that. But I do think that what we have to recognize is the possibility that um, that organizing and that Confront, confronting power changes people. And it never seems to occur to me that Alinsky believes that. Alinsky seems to think that, um, you know, people go out and they win a demand and then they just keep doing this and that they they never change themselves. But to me, I think one of the key things that organizers on the left need to actually think of and not, uh, and not just like, it's it's actually to me it's like part of like what part it's it's a it's a central part of like what we do when we go out and do political activity I think is it's not just to go out and like win the demand say to win an increase in wages for someone or to win better public housing conditions or to you know um, say like get like a, a killer like you know get like some lunatic killer cop off the streets or something like that but it's actually like through the process of organizing and activism to actually like give through that experience, allow people to develop a, a more critical sense of the way the world works and to see themselves as a, as a as an integral part of changing it. Right. And to create a compelling vision of the compute of the future or something that people actually want to uh, to fight for to to like, I don't know. Um, yeah. Like if 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 political if activism is like you said, yeah, just running around like trying to put out various fires or trying to build uh, or just trying to create just various uh, single issue wins, then yeah, you're not creating a sort of vision of the future that anybody is going to want to um, 
to buy into. And I, I don't know. It's like we talked a little bit about this on, on one of our previous episodes about how um, Christianity actually, like modern, there are elements of modern Christianity that actually um, works in that way for a lot of people. I mean, it, it, it gives people a vision of the future <laughs> and people bring that, you know, for better or for worse, they bring that into their sort of like engagement with the system. And a lot of the left doesn't really have. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I but yeah, I don't. It just seems like uh, a lot of the left doesn't really have that uh, sort of, um, yeah, that ideological sort of um, robustness to it. I'm not really sure how to put it. No, I think that that's true. I mean, I think that's one of the things that was, you know, inspiring to people. I mean, this is this is essentially what the the center refuses to offer and and, and admit. And, um, you know, to them, I mean, there really is, I mean, in a certain sense, there's a degree to which maybe you could say that Alinsky is the sort of the progenitor of the American alt center or something like that. The sort of like militant belief in the sort of like the politics of like realism or something like that, which is so fucking boring. But, you know, you think about like what like, you know, Clinton's campaign message was and then how surprised people are that, you know, that, that people refuse to fucking vote for her. But she literally went out and said, like, single payers never, never going to happen. Yeah. You know, she, I mean, what, her, her message literally was, um, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, that's the message that she sent to people. And then somehow people think that she's, like, amazing at politics and that she deserved to fucking win. I mean, she technically, like, yeah. she, she did the most votes. But, I mean, people, they lost something like 2 million votes since between, between 2008 in in 2016 um you know the same thing is kind of is is happening sort of everywhere is that the alt center just insists on like doubling down on being realistic and on being um and on being like pragmatic and not actually offering a vision of what's actually going to like cure people's uh like to make people's lives better and the left does need to do a better job of that i i agree i think that we i mean the 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 set the, the I, I, we're we're starting to, insofar as people are becoming more attracted to left politics and socialist politics, precisely because socialists do offer that vision, right. where the alt center doesn't. Right. Yeah, and I think that the best example, well, I think that the the best example of that is uh, states like Kentucky, where we live, which was, you know, one of the last sort of like democratic strongholds in the South, pretty much up till about two years ago, two yeah. or three years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and it's, yeah, it's because the center, the bottom fell out. I mean, like, there's no, they have no vision of the future that is compelling. Uh, you going to say something? No, no, I was just going to chime in. Like, you know, you see all these, these headlines talking about Trump country, but Appalachia, particularly West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky, was this very strong blue wall until maybe George Bush's second election. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, and remained that way at the, at the local level and the state level until maybe a year or two ago. And it's just, uh. I don't know. It's just a little disingenuous to. Yeah. Well, it's. I think that. Totally. I think that people like. I don't know. I've just been sort of like when I was reading your article, I noticed like strains of things that he Alinsky has said, and I've I've just seen that in sort of some of the messaging and and uh, organizing of of groups in our state, and mm-hmm. um, and I guess what I mean by that is like. Thinking that the masses are conservative, just this this irrational, conservative, uh, hate-mongering mass of individuals. And mm-hmm. I I just, like, if you look at how many people um, actually voted for Bernie in West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky, 
I mean, like, I think that's that says a lot in and of itself. Um, but also, Absolutely. I think the even bigger uh, number there is the fact that, statistically speaking, the vast majority of people who live in our county didn't vote at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, yeah. they didn't. And, and like, like only 4,000 people out of 30,000 people in our county voted for Trump. Which is, that's a pretty small – I mean, that's a pretty small – fraction of the people that live here and so um anyways uh point being is that there is a base for leftist politics in a lot of these communities um but if you operate from the assumption that we're all just uh you know against gay marriage and just a cesspool of hatred then yeah you will continue to fail there's one organization in particular that's probably the most venerated in the state and they're considering dropping abortion or supporting reproductive rights from their platform right. as a way to sort of, you know, push to the center, I guess, or just sort of like, you know, meet these uh meet these uh these coal smudged uh, reprobates <laughs> where they're at. You know. And and a big part of that is sort of what you talked about in the article, which is that a lot of this sort of style of organizing is um it takes up a lot of media space, and it takes up a lot of the attention, and um, it takes up a lot of the money. Like they're all not, you know, they're nonprofit organizations. They're five hundred one c threes. They can apply for grants. I mean, like both of us work for nonprofits, so we're not like throwing stones from outside. Like we're fully embedded in this world of yeah. the sort of nonprofit liberal industrial complex in this highly yep. impoverished region, and um, there is. It's, it's almost impossible to critique that from the left here because a lot of those these organizations uh, dominate the discourse. They dominate the sort of media stories that come out of here. And, um, yeah, no, I mean, like, the only uh, alternative, the, the only way forward is, like, through leftist labor or your grassroots organizing. But it's it's really hard to do when... No, when you when there's not a whole lot of funding for it, like the SC the SCIU, for example, um, I think honestly could do a they could come in, they could open up a local, and I think they could organize plenty of local service workers. But um, I haven't really seen that uh, thrown out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there's this sort of um, I mean, there's definitely a reluctance on the part of uh, of of sort of like labor and and and, and you know, um, well, okay, I guess there's a couple of ways to kind of pick, there's a couple of things to pick up there. Um, yeah, I mean, you use the term like nonprofit industrial complex. And I think that really does speak to sort of like uh, one element of, I think the tradition of Alinskyism, right? Where, you know, what he what he was talking about with uh, in this interview that I listened to earlier today with Studs Terkel, I mean, he was talking about like organizers throughout history. I mean, it also speaks to, the fact that I think Alinsky just doesn't actually have an operative definition of what organizing is. Cause he's like, um, he talks about like Jesus as being like one of the, like, one of the organizers, and just like this weird sort of like, a lot of people put a lot of stuff on Jesus about, about it. But he's like, yeah. you know, like some, I think he's literally says something like, this is actually kind of funny. It's he's like, I think he says Jesus couldn't have been that big as I could have an organizer. Cause like, look where he wound up. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, at bad. age 33 uh you know and then he's like uh you know and then he's like uh uh but then he's like but they didn't really have the ford foundation back then or something like he's talking about, like <laughs> he didn't really have a lot of resources and it's like you see what he talked what he what he kind of means as he talks more about like organizing is like 
a big part of his sort of model of organizing depends upon like the the charity of like large corporate foundations to just like heap loads of money on you as if that doesn't come with you know um like you know i mean as if that doesn't come with patches right, right exactly and condition um and it's sort of um one of which is know, the the continuing of having a job <laughs> yeah exactly um there's you know uh, um I mean that 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 I mean I think that speaks to like the kind of the problems that you're talking about in in Appalachia and in Kentucky, um, where these organizations they operate, you know they can whatever their rhetoric or whatever their um, you know whatever their rhetoric or whatever it is that they they're doing at the end of the day like I mean someone's holding the purse strings you know and it's not right. like you know the Ford Foundation is going to be you know thrilled if you're going out telling rank and file workers especially you know workers associated with uh, you know, uh, you know, large manufacturers and things like that to, you know, go out and, you know, start demanding, you know, Medicare for all and, you know, uh, like, you know, open, you know, open and avail and freely available access to abortion and, you know, disarming, you know, local police units of their like tanks and AR-15s or whatever. <laughs> right. you know? um, right. And there, there's this whole other element to the sort of the model that I, I, you know, I touch on this in the article when I talk about the United Farm Workers, which is the way that they start operating, right? Like, I mean, Alinsky really looks at organizing as unassociated whatsoever with any sort of particular group, right? He doesn't see, in other words, any sort of particular um, role for, um, for the working class itself to actually play, right? Which to me, I mean, I come at this from a socialist perspective, but the working class are the, like, or the working class organized as workers are, you know, where we actually build our social power from, right? Because we have the ability to shut down production. Right. We're the major- you know, in, in addition to being the majority um, and all and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, but Alinsky and, you know, with the sort of the UFW, the United Farm Workers and Cesar Chavez kind of like took away from Alinsky is that um, the sort of the power in their campaigns to organize against the, um, the growers in California didn't depend so much on, you know, um, shutting down production in the fields, but really depended upon building sympathy for the farm worker. And so whole, <laughs> yeah. you guys are liking this. Oh, it's so, so spot on, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. We, no, we, 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 we haven't uh, spot fucking on. been able to figure out, like, really to articulate the situation, and this this just spoke to us. So this is, <laughs> this is great. Carry on. I'm no, sorry. <laughs> you no, know, no, no. It's fine. I mean, just to close it out, what this ends up meaning is um, – rather than sort of being beholden to uh, the workers in the fields and collecting um, and, you know, and collecting dues from within those sort of organization amongst the sort of farm workers themselves, what happens, um, you know, what ends up happening is they end up sort of redirecting all their resources to, um, to college campuses, to the cities, to, you know, and going completely outside of California and the growing fields and, you know, going to, you know, going to Chicago, going to New York, going to, you know, San Francisco or Seattle or whatever, yeah. and talking to students um, and churches and things like that, which ends up turning it um, in the end into like, you know, basically a large fundraising operation instead of a labor union. Right. Yeah. Um... This, this isn't my, this isn't my analysis. This is something that I'm kind of like taking away from, um, from writings by uh, this author, Frank Bardocki, who wrote, um, um, uh, man, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but I referenced it in the book. Yes, I saw that. Oh, well, sorry. Yeah. Um, you can get the title there. 
Um, but he has a great series of interviews, not just in, um, you know, also in the nation and uh, in other places as well, where that I, I took a lot of sort of that history from. Yes. So I don't even know where to begin. Um, <laughs> really started going in on that. Um, so, yeah. So one of the biggest things that I've noticed is that, yes, it's all about sort of like raising awareness and like building sympathy for, um, I don't know, people on the ground and people being impacted by the, you know, all this. Um, and it doesn't have actually have to do with, right, what you said, building um, any sort of social power, building any kind of economic power. Like, in, in the article, you say that Alinsky's framework was essentially, they have the power, we have the people, and so therefore it's just sort of like pitted people versus power. When... To me, a much more uh, it seems like a much more uh, effective formulation would be um, power versus the economy, like because they got nukes and the only thing we've got is the fucking economy, and we can shut down the economy and we can say we're not going to build your fucking nukes anymore, we're not going to build your goddamn jets or missiles or all the other things. You know what I mean? Like that's the only like real point of like leverage we have at this point oh <laughs> yeah we can't we can't we can't wait for them all to die on uh, like roger ailes i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just caught lightning in a bottle with that <laughs> um yeah no i mean it's true it's like the working class right um i mean i mean ultimately this is informed by i mean alinsky's sort of worldview is informed by his role as sort of an administrator of social movement organizations and, and labor, you know, coming out of like the, the, the CIO bureaucracy and the bureaucracy of the labor movement. So he approaches problems from that perspective, right? And for him, uh, the sort of point of organizing isn't necessarily to build the self and like the self-active sort of power of, of the working class, right? To, to allow workers to kind of organize, to develop a sort of critical understanding of the world through their experience, to debate, to democratically decide where they want things to go and how to demand, you know, what they should be demanding. Um, and rather, you know, uh, concludes for him that the point of all this is to simply get a seat at the table, right? For him, uh, and, 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 and I think um, this is part of the sort of the, 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 the sort of like model of, of thinking about organizing is that it's not, I mean, to me, right, I think that, um, I think there's a quote from, from Rosa Luxemburg, where she says uh, something along the lines of, you know, describing the sort of the, the process of revolution or whatever, right? She goes, you lose, you lose, you lose, you win. Right. Right. Meaning each successive kind of confrontation, you maybe you like lose this demand or you only gain it partially. I mean, for the working class, right? If our, if we, what we believe in is sort of uh, like the working class gaining power uh, and these things, right? Like each successive kind of confrontation doesn't lead to that, but what it does lead to is people becoming um, more confident in their power, understanding their sort of role as um, as agents of history with each successive confrontation, even if even if we don't win. Right. In other words, like I think there's a sort of, but for but for Alinsky, it's like if we don't end up like if it doesn't end up getting me a seat at the table where I can look at the CEO of you know, Eastman Kodak or, you know, General Motors or whatever, then, you know, then it's a, you know, then it's a loss. And, you know, um, yeah, so, but, but for us, I think on the, on the left, people who are committed to a sort of radical vision of social change, I think what we need to understand is that even if we don't end up getting this policy victory or whatever, if people come out in the end with a greater sense of, I'm not saying we don't need to win, we do need to win, we shouldn't be comfortable with losing, you know, 
um, or, or not being able to win our demands and things like that. But even if we don't get that, if people come out of it feeling stronger and more confident and having a more critical, uh, a stronger sort of critical understanding of the way the world works, like that's a good thing. Occupy, for instance, won relatively, I mean, it didn't win fucking anything, but what we did get out of it was like, I think a whole new layer of sort of organized activists who are now able to play us who were able to play like a role maybe in the Bernie Sanders campaign or in Black Lives Matter or right. able to organize counter protests against, you know, um, bigoted, uh, bigoted pro-lifers trying to, you know, shame women away from going to Planned Parenthood clinics, you know? Right. I mean, that, that's important for our side is building that leadership and that confidence and that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's spot on. I, and, um, but yeah, if you've sort of built the, your entire sort of uh, worldview and all the organizations around you on this idea that like organizers know best, it's a very elitist sort of model, then, uh, yeah, I don't know. You probably aren't going to trust people very much. <laughs> no, is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. I mean, and, you know, it just it seems very clear to me that Alin that it never occurred to Alinsky that people might um, organize and then decide themselves what they best want it, but they that they might best know what to do, right? For him, it's just a matter of you know. I think he said yeah. So I, I quote this in the article, but he says something like. Um, yeah, organizers are the architect, basically, which, I mean, if, I mean, the implication there then is that the rank and file are just like bricks and raw materials. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, so, yeah, there's, like I said, there's the whole nonprofit industrial like, capital part to all this. There's also a little something, and I don't know, we don't have to actually have to pursue this route, but I think <laughs> I, do, I do. Oh, I think we're pursuing it. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's go for it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I think, um, and maybe there is use to this, or I don't know. It depends on what day of the week you ask me, because I think that it is a part. <laughs> <laughs> I think we spend a lot of time on trying to get media wins, and I think that that kind of uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with the sort of like like one of the things you said about the UFW, or and um, not just you, but the author you quoted was how they're Max, sort of yeah right how they're developed this sort of like cult of personality around Cesar Chavez and a lot of the sort of oh, higher ups and so like I think that yeah that sort of like can kind of go hand in hand with this constant pursuit for like media wins and like media hits and that they don't like if you're not building any actual I don't know maybe maybe this doesn't apply to what you've had experience with but to me, if if you're not building any actual like I don't know long term relationships and institutions, then those are fleeting. Those, there's yeah. diminishing returns on that. <clears throat> but it seems no, to totally. me, yeah, it just seems to me like a lot of these organizations that operate under this sort of like philosophy are very concerned with doing this. Yeah, Jane McAlevey talks about this. Um, I, I believe I quoted her in the in the article about um, sort of the model of the corporate campaign. And I think that this really speaks a lot to the to to that um, to to that sort of model of organizing. Where I mean, the sort of idea, right, is that um, is the sort of the goal is to win your demand, whatever the demand is, whether it's uh, you know um, adhering to regulations about pollution or to pay workers a, a better wage or, or improve conditions for in in some sort of way. Um, the, the, the aim is to leverage power against the sort of the corporate target by um, through a process of like media shaming them, right? right. But the sort of assumption right, yeah. is 
I don't know, is that these people feel like, is that as if that's actually power? Like one, I don't know. I, I'm, I find it questionable if, if, if corporate executives feel any shame, like, if they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like I, that, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of that possibility, but then uh, it's completely dismissing uh, the sort of the, the, po- like what, what I think a whole tradition of radical and, uh, organizing had already known for so long, which is that, look, if you want to leverage power against the bosses, what you have to do is stop production. Right. You know, I mean, people knew this, this is a, I mean, that's the labor movement was built on that. I mean, huge elements of the, the civil rights movement was, you know, had a significant working class component to it. I mean, Martin Luther King was assassinated while organizing striking workers in Memphis. Right. 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 Um, and you, you know, Philip I mean, Randolph and yeah, absolutely. And this is a whole sort of tradition of, uh, of, of working class organizing, being able to address um, different issues through that organizing, um, through, you know, uh, through, through organizing the working class that I think that Alinsky says, we just don't need to do that anymore. And then has completely passed on to the rest of the nonprofit um, sort of social movement world and, and even to the labor world, in a lot, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Where, you know, mobilizing workers is seen as, you know, more or less equal to um to being able to organize students and getting you know like what you call media wins and things like that yeah it makes me wonder if um so you know you don't get into this in the article but uh it it really makes me wonder um sort of what you have to say about like that its relationship to sort of neoliberal ideology and also Mm -hmm. just the sort of like um active identity politics in general where like i will literally talk to people and they will treat organizing working class people workers like it's the same thing as organizing any other sort of like i I don't know it's just a very strange thing it's just like it's i don't i don't know and it seems to me that that kind of comes out of the sort of alinsky um worldview i don't know i could be totally no, 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 no. I think that that I think that that makes um, so, some degree of sense. I, I don't know about um, how it relates to, to I don't know about the sort of the, the connection to neoliberalism specifically. And um, and to some degree, do I I, I kind of get what you mean about identity politics in a, in a certain way. Um, McAlevey, when she's talking about the corporate campaign, um, you know, mentions that workers are instead of being instead of workers being viewed as um, sort of um, the primary agent of like how you're going to win this campaign through their sort of unique position to be able to shut down production by striking, by slowing down, you know, and these things are instead seen primarily as um, uh, what what they call in the sort of the organizing literature around this, uh, the quote, authentic messenger, right. right? And so, and like in the UFW, for instance, instead of seeing um, the sort of the workers in the fields as being able to like organize other workers to be able to stop uh, production and are taken out to be, uh, and, are, and it's sort of kind of like flown out to various college campuses to be able to speak about the plight of the farm worker, you know, um, um, and, and in a similar way to that, you know, you have sort of workers that retail stops, you know, shops or whatever are, are simply seen as like sort of like the, the, the messenger, the, the way in which to elicit sympathy for the cause in order to shame the, the big corporate target. So in some degree, maybe there's a sort of relation to the role of identity, but I think a lot of this just has to do with 
the sort of the defeat of the left over the past 40 or 50 years where what we no longer had, what we used to have in the 30s and to some degree in the 60s and 70s were, you know, um, committed radicals who had deep roots within, you know, the labor movement who were able to offer an alternative sort of vision of what organizing and building power looked like. Right. Um, and to some and to some degree, I think you can say maybe there's a connection to neoliberalism there insofar as, you know, part of the process of neoliberalism has been decimating working class organization, decimating, uh, you know, and, and right. you know, kind of comes out of a, of a significant period of defeat for the left and for the working class uh, in the United States and around the world. Right. Which is which fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, it sucks. <laughs> Hell yeah, it sucks. Um, you did a really good job of sort of encapsulating everything you wrote. <laughs> just, if people want to listen to this instead of going going to read. Uh... <laughs> yeah. um, read. The, yeah, I, I would say maybe read the piece. I don't know, but uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, always or read. maybe I don't know. Don't watch the there's, movie. Um... Read the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything more? I I think it's um kind of funny though that we are talking on the day that Roger Ailes uh, passed. Um <laughs> which what were, do we know how how did he die? I was, was going to ask y'all that. Didn't he, didn't he slip on the wet tile in the bathroom? Is that right? <laughs> he slipped on a banana peel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the most cartoonish death uh, possible. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, I was... uh, he couldn't he couldn't live without uh Chris Cornell. He was a huge audience. <laughs> yes, a big Soundgarden fan. <laughs> Didn't want to be a part of a world without Chris Cornell. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. Chris Cornell. Uh, go uh, fucking burn in eternal hellfire, Roger Ailes. Yeah, I do yeah. like how um, bad people dying rallies the troops. You know, the the left really comes together when an asshole yeah. uh, passes yeah. on to the mm-hmm. next side. We can all we can all you know uh, you know get get together for for drinks and, and, and revel in the in the death of our class enemies. I yeah, think. I, I, it doesn't matter what our position on you know Syria is or right. You know, <laughs> You know, we can all put that aside for a, a, mo- a moment to to celebrate the uh, the demise of our <laughs> yeah. of our oppressors. <laughs> yeah. It really um, it really um, sheds light onto uh, why older revolutionaries were so into the guillotine, and uh, <laughs> I mean, it just yeah, it rallied the base, it rallied the troops. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a uh, it's fucking shocking to me and disappointing somehow that you know i don't know how many times fucking like you know the 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 amount of struggle his heart must have to go through every single moment to pump but like that rush that rush limbaugh still manages to like walk yeah god damn all these guys man are just like a fucking yeah (laughs) it's like one foot in the grave it's it's it is i mean you know i i like to believe that the what is it like the the universe bends towards justice or whatever but uh-huh. if that were true <laughs> i feel like these people would be like just fucking toast by now like, there's <laughs> yeah. something about 
being like an evil goddamn scumbag that just like lets these people just like live like how fucking old is henry kissinger yeah <laughs> yeah that's really how fucking old is this guy i know it, it... that's really mind-blowing and it really like if if you're looking at the american sort of political system and you're uh I don't know, the fact that Henry Kissinger has basically been involved in some way with basically every administration going back since Nixon, like, doesn't that kind of just, like, call it for what it is, which is this, like, genocidal fucking war machine? Like, I don't know. It's just, like, that kind of seems to me to be a really obvious fucking... (laughs) Everyone just, like, everyone's just phoning him all the time. Like, I have no idea what to do in this, like, country, but people are acting up. Like, what do I do? I don't know, maybe I should stop... uh sending like you know exxon mobile over there to like you know just destroy entire villages in the name, <laughs> yeah you know? right yeah. It, no no i mean i can't that that's impossible i can't do that like what's uh hey what's hank have to say yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hank. Pull him out of this, like cryogenic freezing chamber or yeah. whatever and yeah he rolls out and he's like well, i don't know you should bomb them i guess like, <laughs> yeah. yeah when kissinger dies like... <laughs> he'll, he'll He'll be the first person that they take his AI and put it onto a CD-ROM, like a CD drive, and just fucking ask him questions every time they need some sort of, like, answer. That'll be the new technocracy of the American future. Yeah. He, like, he actually just, like, died, like, fucking 30 years ago and just, like, living on half... Like, he's, like, like just living in half-life, just grieving, like, you know, just being, like, the last moment of his life is just suspended through time and they're just, like, <laughs> yeah. animated fucking corpse. Right. Just, Right. It could be like no, a for so, just a show, just a show on TV. It's not like he ever talks on TV, right? I right. Yeah. No. He very he very rarely does. Uh, yeah. You're right. It could be like a linen thing where they like preserved his body just really well, <laughs> <laughs> and they they will him out when they need <laughs> will to. him out for photo op. Oh, God. Yeah. If so, that they need to fucking check that thing because um, a couple days ago when they brought him out to like cool the Trump stuff, uh, he was not looking great. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's not looking too good. Oh man. Oh. Um, yeah, but I'm glad that we can, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that we can all celebrate, uh, to the, you know, the, 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 the croaking of Roger Ailes and, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I think I I think it's hilarious, um, and perhaps um, people like Alinsky would have been the kind that would have been like, "You respect that person, like they're you know what I mean, like oh, rest God, in those peace, fucking was, guys." Yeah, you know what I'm saying, like uh, people who wish you. How speak- dare you say anything bad about a dead person? Right, no ill of the dead, but um, I like uh, Amber Ali Frost wrote this really good essay like in Current Affairs a few years ago about bringing back political vulgarity and I think part of political vulgarity is um, trashing uh, people when like Roger Ailes when they pass <laughs> no totally I totally uh, I, I remember that yeah I like that piece a lot and I think that you know it's it's true like like why shouldn't we like what ounce of humanity could someone possibly claim that they have what ounce of belief in a better world could people possibly have if they aren't able to like you know I don't know like recognize that uh, people that cause like like enormous suffering but people i mean like roger ailes is literally responsible probably for i mean i don't even want to think about how many people just like spent you know whole parts of their lives just like hating themselves because they believed that they were you know um you know like somehow like a lesser human you know just like all the suffering that produced the idea that like we shouldn't be like 
good. I'm glad that that fucker is dead. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's something we're like, what principle are we, are we are betraying? What, like, you know, uh, by, 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 by recognizing that the world's probably a fucking better place if evil people aren't in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Millions of, uh, yeah, people just like, who have totally switched over to this politics of fear and um, yeah, self-loathing and uh, yeah, and that's on Roger Ailes and it's it's pretty fucking terrifying. It's pretty um, it, like his his the scope of his influence cannot be overstated. So yeah, fuck him. Cool. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's young boys. We might we might get a Henry Kissinger and a Rupert Murdoch. We might get a a, a twofer. Well, <laughs> I think um, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, there's not much to really add here. <laughs> it's like I said earlier. We can't wait for them to go. I mean, we basically have to. Uh, I guess since this is a piece of media, you know, like a podcast, and I'm sure the FBI will listen to it at some point, it's probably not safe to say, like, it's, you know, we have to send them direction of Roger Ailes, but um, you kind of know what I'm saying. No? We have to strip <laughs> them of their of all of their power and influence. Take, and, are you, are you cool, man? Are you cool? I'll take the battery out of my cell phone right now, but then I'd lose the connection, so... <laughs> No, but I, I think that, you know, it, it is funny to me that, like, there is this whole kind of school of liberalism that presumes that, like, if we, you know, like, oh, if we just, like, well, yeah, I don't know, when they go, like, right, when when they go low, we go high. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Us, you know, like, I mean, like, you're you're telling me that, like, these, that, like, the right doesn't celebrate when, you know, I mean, look at how they acted when, like, Fidel Castro died. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like things like this, like that just like show it's like there's no degree to which like we can be like decent and moral and, you know, on on the rights. To, like what is being decent and moral on the rights terms even fucking look like? It means being like a goddamn like ghoul who believes that gay people should, you know, be, you know, it's, it's like disgusting. The idea that we should play on that on that terrain. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, honestly, if you believe in. Uh, if you believe in a better future, if you believe in a future that's like democratic and like where people, you know, are able to like live their lives freely, then, uh, you know, and, and, and everyone has everything that they need to live a dignified life, then I don't see how you could like believe in that genuinely and look at something that like fucking Henry Kissinger, like look at Henry Kissinger and not be like, dude, I just hope you fucking go. Like, why are you taking so long? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like not that that like not that that's like a, a win for us necessarily. It doesn't produce any better sort of outcome on our side, but it does mean that like the world has one less shitty fucking ghoul in it. You yeah, know? right. Good. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah. No. Maybe he'll slip banana peel too. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like uh, I just had the idea for like a Final Destination film, but like <laughs> every person that gets killed uh, is like, yeah, it's just like um one of these Kissinger ales type and they slip in the bathroom and get sort of strangled by the <laughs> shower, shower curtain or like a large log rolls off of a truck and <laughs> let's pitch that it's like who's the I'm most just picturing like the I'm picturing like the glass jar that they put they put Henry Kissinger's brain in after he's like off the TV <laughs> yeah. just like kicks over one day and breaks <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah who's who's the like, most not like the janitor just like is sweeping and like knocks it over <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
Hell yeah. Oh, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking great. <laughs> oh, God. Dude, we need a man on the inside. We need, like, we need our our janitor on the inside of, like, the cryogenic fucking, like, room where they put all these <laughs> yeah. people's brains. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Just, like, not yet knocks it over with, like, a mop, like, the stick on the mop or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Dude, <that> fucking rules. <laughs> he's, he's, like, our gorilla war. He's our, che- that guy is our Che Guevara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. Oh my God. He would we would lift him up on our backs through the streets and... <laughs> yeah. Dude. <laughs> we'll like write these amazing ballads about about the about the cha- the janitor. Yeah. <laughs> like ri- ri- Richard the janitor and like the secret like the secret NSA cryogenic freezing chamber. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, just uh yeah, the troubadour the leftist troubadours of the future will be singing about. <laughs> yeah. Richard. Richard. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, some weird like sort of like Black Mirror meets like Ken Loach film or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this dystopian sort of this dystopian world, but like in the end, it's like we still have our working class hero who delivers us. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Oh shit. Well, if we dream it, uh, surely we can make it into a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, all right, guys, how are you guys feeling? Um, yeah, I think we've we've got enough audio. Thanks, Aaron, for talking to us. Um, yeah, we really enjoyed it. We're really sorry for the all the technical difficulties at the beginning. I was very self conscious for the first thirty minutes of this interview. I was like, he's gonna think we're total fucking. We're just totally. Yeah, I, ne- I never recovered. <laughs> yeah, Dude, I'm, like literally was sitting in this like gilded tower and was worried you guys were gonna think I'm just like, a complete poser because of like. <laughs> Yeah, right? yeah. For the listening audience that can't see the video, it's just this hilarious, just view of what's that, sh- whatever road uh, that is, just like Manhattan somewhere. I've only been in New York once. I don't know anything about it. Um, but, yeah, I'm. But uh, I'm actually in the Anthony Cumia Studios where they film the hometown. Yeah. Um, Wow, that's where you want to be, really. Um, so yeah, that's how you know you've, yeah. you've made it <laughs> to the top. Yeah, no, so we're sorry about that. Uh, generally, we are more gregarious, but yeah, we get in our own heads, and then we're just like, oh, fuck, man, everybody's going to think that we're just <laughs> running out of a popsicle stand here, which we kind of are. <laughs> uh no worries i'm so happy to have done this i'm really glad that this is a really great project that you guys are doing i mean it really speaks to also you know i mean you're providing not only like a really important sort of resource for other people like you and on our side where you are but i mean you're also showing the rest of the world that like you know exactly what we were talking about earlier that like the south and appalachia is not just like left to this sort of like this uh you know whatever it is that liberals want to say that it is right right so, right, right thanks Aaron. really yeah, really, really that, happy man. to be on this and uh you know and i don't know um let's let's definitely please stay in touch okay. and uh i hope that i don't sound dumb or <laughs> no. that i don't get uh <laughs> attacked by the fbi after no 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 uh i can't guarantee that you won't get attacked by the fbi um they could be washing windows that you like turn and there could be washing yeah right that's actually probably an fbi office (laughs) right but 
It definitely doesn't sound dumb. That's where the black ops get carried out. Of. So you, this is how you know this is like a globalist operation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, you definitely don't sound dumb. I was very self-conscious the whole time. I was just like, man, I'm too stupid for this. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> no um, way, but um, this is great. I think we had a good thing. I think we have a, a some. I think we got some good chemistry going on, man. I think we do too, man. Yeah, yeah man, for sure. We just, you have to come back on the show. We'll have to do it again, and we won't fuck it up. We won't fuck up all the uh, different recording devices, and it'll be. I would absolutely love to. Awesome. Well, right, Aaron, thanks for speaking yeah, with thanks, us. Yeah, thanks, man. Absolutely. All right. Well, have a have a great day. Be careful. Going. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. You all too. <laughs> See ya.